You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. You are listening to Beyond the Fit, and this is Holly Cotton. The purpose of this show is to explore beyond the traditional health and wellness topics to make sure that we can all become the strongest versions of ourselves inside and out. Holly Cotton here, and I am super excited to welcome Michael Ricks. And Michael Ricks, if you guys do not know, is a banjo country artist, songwriter, author, actor, and cult survivor. Cult survivor, excuse me. So welcome, Michael. Hi, Holly. Thank you for having me on today. So Michael has a very, first of all, if you guys didn't pay attention to what I just said, I said that we are talking to a country banjo artist. (laughs) So he has a very unique story. I can't wait to hear about that because of course, when I think of banjo, I think of um, deliverance and (laughs) that we stay away from banjo players. So I can't wait to hear about that, especially it being a black banjo player and country star as well. So Michael has tons of things that he's done, projects he's worked on, and he's going to fill us all in on all of that stuff today. So first, Michael, can you tell us again how you became a banjo country musician? Yes, yeah. It's, uh, you know, my parents uh, raised us in the country. So I grew up uh, in northern Indiana, uh, near Fort Wayne, uh, between the cities of Fort Wayne and Warsaw. And we were way out in the boonies, uh, cornfields, soybean fields. Uh, matter of fact, there are a number of uh, Amish communities um, near us as well in uh, some small towns like Ligonier. And so we were constantly surrounded by barns and, you know, we just had the country life. And so um, when I was about 12, I got a hold of an acoustic guitar and uh, started, it had two strings on it. I bought, we lived in a trailer park, uh, had about 20 or so trailers in it. And um, as a result, um, you know, when there's, when you're way out in the country, there's not a lot to do. So you're either riding your bike uh, at that time. I grew up in a country town in Louisiana, so I can attest to everything that you're, when you said boonies, I knew exactly what you were talking about. (laughs) Well, it's definitely, you know, just that rural life. And, and, uh, you know, I had lots of friends that played guitar at church. Uh, and so, because, you know, we, we had a lot of music, uh, that was coming out of the Christian, uh, CCM world and worship world. Um, I learned to play a lot of Christian music, uh, early on, uh, was later introduced to black gospel. Um, and then, um, to, to learn to play guitar, you had to sit, you know, with friends and groups and we'd all, you know, play along and play different songs. And, uh, you know, that first guitar my dad got for me uh, for $4 from my buddy Tim, who lived a few trailers down from us. And uh, I'd sit in the front yard and pluck away on that thing and finally got it tuned up and got a whole set of strings on it. And uh, that started my journey into kind of the acoustic music world. Um, and that's how I kind of, you know, begin to pass the time and, and uh, entertain myself and give myself some, a creative outlet. So that's how you started, I guess, like you said, you came up with the the, the playing the guitar and, and things. So how did that migrate to you becoming a banjo player and actually getting recognized as the country banjo player? 
Well, um, to take you back a little bit um, to my teen years, when I was 15, I got a, uh, when I don't know, I was like 13, I got a, um, no, 15, I got a job uh, working at the street department in Lima, Ohio. And there was a guy there named Don Michaels uh, who played country music in his office. And so uh, as a result, I got exposed to Brooks and Dunn and Tim McGraw and Patty Loveless and Faith Hill. And I'm listening to, you know, all these country stars on the radio. And um, uh, fast forward to moving to Nashville uh, a little over 10 years ago, I uh, uh, began to, do, you know, get into songwriting sessions and beginning to uh, get into the craft of songwriting, uh, songwriting here in Nashville. Um, and in 2016, I kind of got bored with the guitar. You know, having been on the guitar 20 plus years, uh, I just needed a new creative outlet. And I went to Chef's Music in Franklin, Tennessee, downtown Franklin, where I live now, um, just south of Nashville. And I picked up a banjo. I picked up a Recording King banjo and I gave it a little you know, strum of the strings. And I thought, you know what, this has got frets and strings. Let me, let me try this little thing. Come to find out, you know, the banjo is brought over here by Africans from slaves, from slavery. Uh, and it's, you know, long before we saw the bluegrass element, um, there was a thing called flailing. And uh, if you go on YouTube, you can look up videos of old uh, post slaves, uh, post slaves from the post slavery era that, um, you know, are sitting there playing the banjo uh, and you can see, you know, young black children dancing and, and, you know, they're all kind of doing a little country hoedown, uh, with the banjo. So I, I picked up the banjo in 2016 and, um, and that's, you know, it's been part of my career. Um, I started working in country music in 2013. Um, but the banjo is really what catapulted my career, uh, and really gave me some of the unique ways for me to express my creativity and kind of set myself out from the crowd. Right. And that's what I was going to say too. That also was beneficial to you because that's not a common thing. So first you're coming in as, you know, this black, young, handsome guy that's, you know, now you're going to be a music store, but not only that, but you're more of now I'm playing the banjo. So like you have all of these unique things that make this, make you marketable. So that's really awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. So now I know that that's your music side and I know that you have a, a another unique part of you, which is as you identify as a cult survivor. And that's something you don't really hear a lot about, especially anymore. You know, you think that that's, that was like from the eighties or the nineties, no one's doing that anymore or whatever. So I definitely want to hear your story about whatever you want to share with us. I know you also have a platform for cult survivors as well. So please explain to us how that came about your survivorship and what you're doing to help others. Well, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the eighties and nineties were, uh, very prevalent in the news with cult survivor or cult stories. Um, we've all heard the, the horrors, uh, and my story is honestly no different. Um, my parents, uh, my dad, uh, was a heart surgeon and medical doctor, uh, family practitioner. My mother was also a psychologist and, um, in college, they came in contact with the audio recordings of this hope, uh, uh, cult leader named Hobart Freeman. At that time, you wouldn't have known that he was a cult leader. Uh, you would have thought more of him as a televangelist 
or uh, as a radio preacher. Um, he was known worldwide uh, for his sermons and for his books, uh, for his uh, very um, heavy-handed, uh, strict, very restrictive message, uh, a lot of do's and a lot of, a lot, way, way more don'ts. Uh, and it was all about separating yourself from your neighbors, your friends, your community, and living this exclusive, more religious life uh, in the hopes of being more devoted and more pious and more spiritual uh, with the intent of being more pure in one's life. Uh, unfortunately, those messages and sermons uh, ultimately uh, were quite toxic and uh, very detrimental and um, ultimately took a lot of life. Uh, my parents decided to sell everything. And when I was eight years old, uh, we left Ohio where I was originally born. I was born in Toledo, Ohio. My parents met, uh, well, they left high school and met on campus at Bowling Green State University. And that's where they began to hear these teachings. Long story short, they get on a bus uh, and a Greyhound bus. And I, by that time, there's three or four of us kids and I'm the oldest. And we take this Greyhound bus with two suitcases and we go to uh, Northern Indiana to follow this cult leader. Uh, it had about 2,000 members uh, that attended this church. Um, he had a worldwide constituency listening to them uh, by radio and also uh, listening to him uh, 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 do, uh, via audio sermons, but they had a lot of satellite churches in various countries around the world and also around the United States. Long story short, the um, teachings primarily against medical treatment and against the use of medical science uh, really caught up with the members of the church uh, who followed these teachings. We had over 300 deaths and over 100 documented. Uh, when I was age 14, 11, uh, age 11 to 14, I started having severe asthma. And that caught up with me. Uh, I began to have very, very uh, severe asthma episodes. And because of the you know belief in no medicine and no treatment, um, I would have these three-day asthma episodes, and that went on for about three years. Um, fortunately, or by some miracle, I survived um, and didn't um, didn't ultimately leave this world. Um, unfortunately, when I was 14, um, I was in the living room uh, after a week of my brother suffering with meningitis and my father refusing to get him treatment. Um, I ended up witnessing his passing. And um, that was the turn um, of the events that changed my family. Uh, I experienced tremendous uh, PTSD uh, and trauma from that experience. Ultimately, uh, was able to get help and get counseling and get, um, you know, begin the healing process from that. Uh, but ultimately, that situation stopped the uh, cult life for my family. And my grandmother stepped in. Uh, as the authorities uh, removed us from my parents' uh, guardianship. And she took, at the time, all seven of us kids back to Ohio with her. She came out of retirement and kind of got our life back into, you know, traditional schooling as I was homeschooled, which I'm not entirely against. Uh, but we were, you know, put in public schools. We got our medications, got our shots, got our different treatments for what we needed medically. And uh, we started kind of living a normal, you know, somewhat normal life. Uh, even though our family uh, structure had changed. So that kind of is how I got um, into the, you know, the initial beginning of the cult experience. Um, 
ultimately, I ended up putting my story in a book called From Cult to Country, An Asthmatic's Journey to Find More Air. Um, that story is, is the mental health recovery part of my story. Um, the one thing I can say is that trauma and PTSD, um, I know we all have a voice in our head or our subconscious uh, and even conscious mind. Uh, and so we all have a way that we, through the conditions that we've been growing, growing up in and the, the environment around us uh, and our response to the trauma, we develop this little voice in our head that, you know, tells us we can or we can't. Uh, that tells us, you know, there's love for our in our future. There's, you know, a good financial uh, prognosis for, you know, the, the, our career. Or that voice also, you know, or it says, you know, you'll never make it. You'll never be successful. Uh, you'll always be poor. You'll always be struggling. You'll always be emotionally uh, struggling. Um, so going through um, clinical counseling, life coaching, um, forms of visualization and EMDR type therapies um, was what got me out of the pit and got me on my feet. And um, the songwriting and music uh, part of that journey uh, was a big part in giving me an escape and giving me a way to tell my story and to put those feelings and emotions on paper. Um, I was influenced by a songwriter named Wayne Kirkpatrick and Wayne Kirkpatrick wrote Change the World uh, for Eric Clapton. Uh, that song is featured in the movie Phenomenon. Um, and uh, he's been an amazing, amazing songwriter for many years, produced artists like Little Big Town, um, Amy Grant, uh, a main influence of mine, Susan Ashton. He's an incredible writer, and he always wrote his lyrics like you could just see every single thing and feel every single thing in his heart, you know. Um, who's an amazing storyteller. So I was heavily influenced by him as a songwriter. And as a result, um, I adopted a lot of his ideas and uh, techniques, um, which gave me um, my desire and influence, you know, for my own story and expressing my own songs. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that, that's <laughs> That's a lot. So first, I want to definitely commend you because, again, I think it's very notable that you said where you identified, you either take that voice and you can go down this way or you take that and you go the other way. Like now I'm in this abyss and I can't pull myself out and I don't know how to cope or whatever. So I love that you obviously went the other way and have done great things. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, because I'm curious about, I don't really know about the cult survivors. It's not something I really know. Now, I did grow up in the South, and you know, Southern Baptist takes church and Jesus very seriously. So sometimes I think I was borderline cult because literally you were, you were in the tent revival from Wednesday through Sun Monday, whatever, getting eaten up by the mosquitoes, whatever it was, like you, it was just really intense. You know, it was just that was just a huge calling. So I'm just curious for you now at this point in your life, how do you feel about religion? Are you religious at all, or do you have an opinion about organized religion from your standpoint? Because I would think going through that, you definitely are like, 
kind of leery about where you're going to invest your spirituality. So can you give us some insight into your opinion about spirituality now? Yes. Um, there's quite a bit of, um, religious entities and groups and sects that are out there. And so many of them are well-intended, uh, and they want to, in some form or some way, claim to connect you to spirituality and collect, connect you to God. Um, and though with their best attempts, um, the majority of them fail horribly uh, to attempt to do that. And what I had to learn was that I was told a lot of lies. Uh, I, I got, a, you know, experienced a lot of deception, a lot of control, or ultimately a lot of abuse. So. Regarding religion, I've realized that religion is dead. Religion is toxic. Uh, religion itself is the it's man's attempt to connect to God and more importantly, to control other people in the process of saying they will be the apparatus that correct, connects you to God. So as a result, most of the time they are utilizing it to amass groups of people around them to create you know, a following, to generate you know, very large sums of money, uh, make themselves wealthy, um, and ultimately control and create a um, an exclusivity by <clears throat> their message and by their practices and by their rituals. The thing I had to come to understand was that uh, the life of faith that I am living uh, is a relationship with God. Um, it's not based on practices or rituals, though there will be times of prayer uh, or times of devotion or times of singing or worship or serving others, uh, serving the community, um, playing music, um, different spiritual activities. But those activities are like walking with a friend. Um, and that's how I express my faith. Uh, I don't do religion. I don't do the toxic behaviors. Um, I don't do organized religion. Um, and I, you know, I work at a church now, um, but the, the church that I work with is a non-denominational uh, church, uh, and they've you know they they feed the home the uh, the poor, they you know clothe the homeless. Uh, we have a homeless shelter. We've opened Franklin uh, and Williamson County's first homeless shelter. Uh, we have two halfway houses, a men and women's halfway houses. When I think of church, when I think of what church should be uh, in the Bible, uh, church was not in a church building. Uh, there were no church buildings. There were no church organizations uh, because the Roman Empire uh, would have taken you out uh, and you would have been considered anti-government or anarchist. And so they would have uh, taken you out as a subgroup, uh, which would undermine uh, the authority of the Roman Empire. So in that period, the church met in homes and it was a village. It was a community of people that served each other, served each other's needs uh, kept the poor and, and the sick healthy because there weren't massive hospitals back then. So the Christians in the Roman Empire, uh, they cured the sick. They clothed the poor. They helped the homeless. They helped the widows and the orphans and those who were disadvantaged, the minorities and the, and the slaves and the people that were uh, in these uh, fragile fringe communities. They were the ones that did the healing and the helping and the recovering, and they were the hand of mercy in the culture. Um, so for me, uh, if you want to call it church, uh, because what we know today in the King James version of the Bible as church, 
was usurped uh, during the translation process from the original scrolls. King James took the word uh, ecclesia, which means village or community, and he turned it into church so that the, the state church or the state religion could classify church under the state rules or under the government rules. So when people think church building and they think go sit in a pew or go sit in a service, that was all created, um, you know, by the European process to alter and take us away from communities of love and service. Um, and so as a result, um, we, many of us have experienced a warped idea of what supposedly, you know, and it, and it, and it has become what we call religion um, because so many of us have experienced uh, just bad situations and bad experiences from religion. So I have nothing to do with religion. I believe in relationship and I believe in faith. I believe in community. I believe in spirituality. I believe in connection to God. Um, if Jesus were to walk the earth today, uh, he would shut down most of the churches that we know and see, even the ones that we feel are good ones, because they, you know, Jesus never, um, if anybody could have set up a massive church corporations or massive 501c church operations, Anybody could have done it. Jesus could have done done it to the tune of millions and millions of uh, groups all over the world uh, running these organizations. Um, now, if you go to a church that's a 501c3 church organization, I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying that Jesus didn't, didn't do that when he was on the earth. And he kept communities and groups of people together uh, in service of love and in service of those in need. And it would function more like a family uh, than like an operation. Okay, that's a very good definition. And thank you for breaking that down. I was just curious because like you said, I mean, you, you went through a lot. So it's kind of like, man, at that church, I can't be with that. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of like, I did not be organized religion. I'm anti-religion. So I was just curious to know, how you process that with your healing if you were really like hands off i don't want anything to do with religion or not so i love that you are still a spiritual person and you have new definitions of what organized religion is for you and where you fit in so thank you for sharing that now something fun uh because i know people are like oh lord that was a lot of jesus um some people <laughs> I get on my little tool too when I talk about something I'm passionate about. So I love it. So now I know that you have several things that you have done. I want to kind of give the listeners some of, or I want to give you some accolades for some of the projects that you've worked on. So I know that you have a story about American Idol. You have a story about Nash Next and some other things that you've done. So can you kind of list some of the projects that you're working on so people can, you know, put some respect on your name? <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yes, I've honestly, I've auditioned for American uh, Idol. I've also auditioned for America's Got Talent. Um, I've even gotten a call uh, early this year from America's Got Talent to uh, be one of the featured um, uh, artists uh, that potentially would make the show. Um, uh, one of my good friends and groups that's uh, made uh, American America's Got Talent uh, is called Chapel Heart. Uh, matter of fact, they're from Louisiana. You've probably heard of them. Um, it's three three black women uh, that uh, uh, they have a song called "You Can Have Him, Jolene," uh, 
um, and it's basically a response to Dolly Parton's Jolene. Uh, but they've been successful, uh, speaking of Louisiana and America's Got Talent, uh, and they've made quite a buzz and been invited to play the Grand Ole Opry. Um, one of the things that I've gotten to do uh, I, in uh, 2018, I was uh, in the top 10 out of all of Nashville's um, uh, artist search uh, by the record label called Big Machine. And um, I was given the opportunity to um, uh, perform and play a, one of my songs called Sugar Girl. Uh, Sugar, uh, Big Machine is the former record label of Taylor Swift. And I was given the opportunity to uh, compete in that contest. I was a national artist search, and uh, I was able to play at Florida Georgia Lines. Play at Florida Georgia Lines um, uh, uh, FGL House, which is their big honky tonk restaurant and grill downtown uh, Nashville. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's something that's definitely part of my story. Uh, in 2019, I was cast in the Ken Burns country music documentary for the um, commercials uh, that are uh, used to advertise this documentary, uh, the country music documentary done by Ken Burns included people like Loretta Lynn, uh, Johnny Cash, Charlie Daniels, uh, Kenny Rogers, many of these artists who have now passed on, but he was so instrumental in getting that documentary cut uh, at the time that he did uh, right before uh, many of these great um, legends, uh, Charlie Pride, uh, were, you know, set to leave this world. So uh, I was in that commercial with Catch Secor and uh, Old Crow, uh, who, uh, of Old Crow Medicine Show. They wrote the song Wagon Wheel. So if you go on Bank of America's YouTube and Bank of America's website, you can see the commercial for the Ken Burns Country Music P uh, PBS documentary. And uh, you'll see about seven or eight of us all playing banjo and they've broken the commercial up into several different pieces. So you might see us on Hulu or CBS or PBS uh, on the streaming services or on or on on-demand cable and uh, see us all playing the Wagon Wheel songs in different sections of the commercial. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of, of some of what I've done. Uh, most recently, uh, I was blessed to play the Grand Ole Opry's Opry, Day Commu Opry Community Day, uh, which was an outdoor festival um, on the grounds of the Grand Ole Opry. And uh, my band was one of four bands that was chosen to play uh, this one once a year or annual event. And my band was the first one to play. And so I can't um, say thank you enough to the Grand Ole Opry for the opportunity to play for them. Um, I also played the Pilgrimage Festival uh, with Chris Stapleton, um, the Avid Brothers, Avid Brothers, L. King, and Marty Stewart uh, this past fall. Uh, it's been a really amazing, amazing journey. Yes, it sounds like it. Oh my goodness. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad you broke it down for us, Michael, so that they know, um, you have done a lot. So I love that. <laughs> love that. So I know last question or last point that I wanted to talk about, I know that you also have a charity. Can you tell us about your charity? Yeah. So when I, when I put my story in my book from cult to country and asthmatics journey to find more air, uh, I met a gentleman named Tom Jackson, uh, Tom Jackson. Uh, he teaches what they call stage presence or he's called a stage producer. So, you know, when you see people on stage, uh, especially significant professionals, uh, they are taught how to stand on stage, what song to sing, what area of the stage to stand on, 
um, when to bring the music up, when to bring the music down. They're the ones that, are, that teach the script of stage performance, live stage performance. Well, he put my uh, a name in the hat for a sponsorship and a uh, artist advocacy position with this organization called Medical Assistance Program International. Long story short, uh, they go for M they go by MAP International or MAP International. Um, they're no known for their disaster relief um, and medical, um, the, primarily doing the medical medical dimension of that. They work with organizations like World Vision, Food for the Hungry, Feed the Children. Um, they work with Samaritan's Purse. So when you see uh, the Weather Channel, often you'll see our CEO on the Weather Channel. Um, giving um, a shout out uh, to their medical relief efforts where they'll go into an area that's been decimated by, you know, a natural disaster and they pass out what they call disaster health kits. And these are small packets that contain um, like a toothbrush, a washcloth, a hairbrush, a comb, um, some sanitary items like uh, hand sanitizer, some soap, and also uh, a first aid kit. And they hand these out so that when people are in large groups, uh, in these shelters uh, that we don't spread uh, bacteria and disease. And so um, that's one of the efforts that they do. They also, during COVID, uh, passed out gloves and hazmat suits and different supplies to hospitals across the United States as they struggled in some situations to have supplies to keep things sanitary and for protection. Um, they also distribute medication around the world to the tune of about 29 million people a year who would otherwise not have medication. So because of my medical neglect story and cult survivor story, as I shared earlier, uh, suffering without med without medication for asthma for three years, uh, my story was um, a catalyst uh, by the help of Tom Jackson to get me the artist advocacy opportunity with MAP International. And so now um, you can go to map.org forward slash Michael, R-I-C-K-S. So um, you can go there and if you so uh, inclined to uh, contribute to the cause of sending medicine around the world, um, this is what I really believe true church is, true religion as the uh, text in the scripture says, is to visit the poor and the orphan and the widow in their distress uh, and to serve and help others. Uh, true uh, spirituality and true faith is serving others. So through my music and through my music shows with my band, uh, we're able to go to these concerts when we perform. Uh, we put the, my cult survivor story out there and we ask people to uh, join with us in sending medicine around the world. Um, and we do that through MAP International and MAP International takes those funds and serves uh, 29 million people a year. They're a Forbes top charity uh, because of their um, ethics and ethical use of the funds. Uh, they are given a very high credit rating uh, by Forbes and other national or international organizations that recognize their efforts uh, for doing medical relief. Okay, I love that. I love that. That is so awesome. And one, I'm just, I'm amazed at your story. I'm amazed at your strength. And also the fact that you are taking everything that you went through and making this a platform to help other people. That right there is just a, a big thing that a lot of people want. It's maybe not that they don't even want to, it's just that they don't know how to, or they may have so much trauma for them that talking about it is 
making it reemerge or it's, it's stopping them from being able to heal. So I love that you took your story and not only just became a country star, but you're also using all of this now, you know, notoriety to help bring attention and awareness to all of these things that people may not know about. And then also using that to make a change. So I love that. I love that. I love that. Okay. So Michael Ricks, let us know how we can follow you, support you, get in touch with you, all that great stuff. If you have a project coming up, give us everything we need to know. Give us all the deets right now and all, and make sure you spell out any of your website or social media tags for anyone that's listening. Well, thank you so much, Holly, for having me on today and, you know, um, taking your story and taking your message um, out to the world is important. Um, so much of my music life didn't really kick off until I told my story, until I got the healing and the counseling and the trauma recovery and mental health recovery uh, going and moving in my life and happening in my life. Um, I had to go ask for help. And now, because of that, uh, so much of what I'm doing today came from the tragedy being turned into triumph, uh, disadvantage being turned into advantage. So the tools and the tool belt that I have now to help others came from my own suffering and came from my own struggle. Um, part of what I'm doing now is I'm working on an album called, well, you know what? I don't even have a name for the album yet, but I've got, <laughs> I've got about eight songs getting ready to come out here shortly. Uh, you can go to my website, michaelrix.com. Uh, that's michaelrix.com. Uh, and you can visit that. You can also visit um, I am Michael R I X Banjo. I am Michael R I X Banjo. And you can go to TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and see uh, any of my you know music and things that are happening. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing everybody uh, this coming February at the uh, Super Bowl um, Music Fest. Um, as I will be hosting the country uh, part of that. Um, and uh, we'll have some different things coming out. Stay tuned on our social media as you will be seeing uh, the names of the performers and the artists as they nail down uh, for this coming Super Bowl uh, the artists and the, act, uh, the acts that will be performing. So look for me at the uh, Super Bowl Music Fest 2023. Uh, it's going to be a great time and I want to thank Walter uh, for connecting you and I and for the opportunity to uh, host at the um, uh, uh, Super Bowl Music Fest. Yes, that's huge. I'm so proud of you. I'm, uh, I'm, I know we just met, but I'm like, I, we're family now. So I look forward to getting to know <laughs> you at some point. You. You know, I want to thank Bree Carter. Yes! <laughs> too. Yes, when I wave at you at the Super Bowl, I need you to wave back. Don't act like you don't know me. I'll definitely be waving back. And, you know, uh, a big shout out to Bree Carter uh, for connecting um, me to Walt, who ultimately connected to you. Uh, Bree Carter is a black country music artist who is also up and coming. She's a U.S. veteran. Uh, also, happy Veterans Day to all of our veterans and to all of our men and women in service uh, uniform and those who are retired and the fallen. Um I want to honor those today and honor Brie Carter because she's also an uh, up and rise, up and coming country music artist, black country artist, but she's also a veteran. So I uh, want to send a shout out to her as well. 
Okay, I love that. I love that. Yes. Yeah, so not sure when this is going to air, but um, yes, today is officially 11-11, right? Yes, 11-11. So it's Veterans Day for us. So for anyone that's listening, thank you guys so much. And you guys be sure I'm going to tag Michael in everything as well. And all of this information will be in the podcast notes for those who just want the clickable links. And like he said, follow him on all his social media handles. So Michael Ricks, you guys. Real quick, real quick. I want to send a shout out to my uh, banjo uh, manufacturer and sponsor, Recording King. Uh, They provide all of my banjos and musical equipment for my banjos. Uh, So I want to say thank you to them. They are an American uh, banjo manufacturer here in the United States. And I want to send a shout out to them as well. All right. They got it. They shot it out. They got it.